when you're down and trouble and you need some love and care and nothing well nothing is going right close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studio, home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show is regularly scheduled at the same time each week. PBA Hall of Famer Len Nicholson started the show in 2002. Since then, he's recorded over 1,100 shows featuring over 400 different guests, a literal who's who in bowling. So, Phantom fans, let's welcome our host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Kegel Company. Well, Phantom fans, by popular demand, we're continuing to honor players from the past to maintain our promise to never forget the past and to maintain the tradition of the PBA and its great players. And this week, we'll be representing Number one in a three-part series featuring the great Earl Anthony. And to pay tribute to the GOAT, we will have none other than our resident pro, the man that knows it all, Billy Hall. And you all know his outstanding resume, so let's get him out here and see what's going on, see what's on his mind. So how you doing, Bill? How you doing, all right? I'm doing great. Actually, you know, the last time we talked, I was talking about my garden. I actually even sent you a photo of it. And um, we just got done harvesting the lemongrass, the ginger roots, uh, the peppers. So, you know, I'm learning. I'm, I'm sticking with it. Some things didn't go quite the way I wanted. But, you know, that's part of learning how to grow your own food. But we just got done harvesting it and everything. Most of it came out pretty, pretty good. So doing very well. Well, good for you, man. I, yeah, I respect that. You'll try something, you know, you never did it before. You'll try it again. and uh, You're a jack of all trades. But, you know, speaking of the garden, I hate to say this, but we've got to talk about somebody that's underneath the grass right now. And I was talking to you about doing the Earl Anthony tribute show, and I looked it up, and he's been gone for 20 years. Boy, is that hard to believe. It's you know, there's, there's still times where it'll pop in my head that, you know, I just want to talk to him about something that I didn't understand because, you know, I, I know people would be offended by it, but I don't really care. Um, he was the most knowledgeable player about the entire game that I've ever met in my entire life. No question about that. You know, I know you had many, many discussions with him. You were never bashful, afraid to go up and ask somebody a question, sit down, have a conversation with them. And, you know, I learned an awful lot from him myself. But anyway, there's so much to talk about with Earl. Uh, you told me you'd like to break it down into a few different ways. Um, this first week, I think you mentioned that you wanted to talk about what he taught you. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Uh but the one thing I want to do before we get to that point is I really want to thank the Anthony family. They have been unbelievable to me. Susie Anthony sent me his entire 
TV shows on CDs and I've studied them and downloaded them on my computer and deciphered them and listened to, or watched them and kind of listened to Earl in my head as to when he was telling me about this, when he was telling me about that. And, you know, I don't think anybody can ever get to the point where you know it all. So I keep trying to learn. And the main thing to start off with is I really, really want to thank the Anthony family. They just, they've been phenomenal to me. Yeah, they're a great group of people. I, I, you know, I know Susie very well, and, and especially son Mike. Uh, I hung around him a lot. We played a lot of golf together and all that. But anyway, show number two, you said you wanted to talk about his multiple physical games. You know, it's kind of funny to say that because a lot of rookies don't know what you're talking about when you say multiple physical games. Most of the guys nowadays, they got one game. Uh, they come out with all these different balls. And they have the ball do the work for them. But they didn't have that back in the day so much. But at number three, that'll be show number three, his strategy, and how he played lanes and, and things that he knew about the game that he passed along to you. But I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. So if you're ready, let's talk about just a couple of the things that he taught you, Pards, all right? Sounds great. Uh, the one thing that, you know, Mr. Anthony did with me, which was at, at times extremely frustrating, but he would talk to me in riddles. And what he was trying to get me to do was he was trying to get me to understand not what his words were, but what the player's motions were. So he'd talk to me in riddles. Like one time, I remember this very, very clearly. So he says, I was asking him you know, about the physical movements and he said, divide the player in half. So I'm sitting behind the players all week. I'm dividing them in half. We were actually in Dublin, California. And um, I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. And he goes, I went up to him and I said, I think I understand what you're talking about. I'm watching the leg action, the way the hips rotate, the way the upper body rotates. And I'm saying, yeah, you know, I understand a little bit from the back. And he goes, looks at me with a dead straight face. Have you done it from the side yet? I went, <laughs> No. And he says, why not? So he was trying to get me to look at the entire picture more in a 3D aspect instead of uh, a one-dimensional aspect. So when he would do stuff like that, he drove me crazy. But <laughs> it would, you know, it would teach you how to go looking for it. So, you know, a unique way of teaching me, but he was teaching me through riddles. And at times, let me tell you, Blue Oil, I would get so frustrated with him because he'd say something, you know, like about his hand pressures. And I'm like, hand pressures? What are you talking about? And about the different releases. And so I'd, I watched him all week. I mean, literally all week. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked. And I, he says, I said, but Earl, you're, you're holding the ball the same. And he goes, can you see the inside of the ball? Said, <laughs> no. That's great. <laughs> oh, I mean, I never called him Earl. I always called him Mr. Anthony. But he would say, you know, you don't know how I'm holding it. He says, maybe I'm holding it this way. Maybe I'm holding it that way. And then he said to me one simple word. He goes, or phrase. He looked at me and he goes, think baseball. I said, what? <laughs> what? What? He goes, they hold it differently to make it change its shape, but it's still the hand sitting on the object the same way. Basically, they're just holding with different pressures and different balances in their hands. 
Well, that one took me a long, long, long time to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he wanted to show you that you needed to figure it out. He just didn't want to hand it to you and say two and two is four. He would give you a little riddle to make you think. And, and that's why it settled in your brain so well, because you had to think it out, first of all. I mean, like when we one time we were talking about arm swings. And, you know, what people don't know, and I'm sure we'll cover that in the future, is he had multiple arm swings. He had multiple walk patterns and what he called releases, which now I call grip pressures. So he said, I was asking him, I said, well, how do you get the ball to do this and that? He goes, it depends on which lever I want to use. And I was like, okay, um, <laughs> I have no clue what you're talking about, Mr. Anthony. What are you talking about? He goes, you have a left arm, a right arm, a left leg and a right leg. He goes, that's four levers. And he goes, it depends on which one I want to make the most dominant one. And I, that's the first person that talked to me about different swing shapes. So I was watching him a little bit and I said, okay, well, when he's doing this, there's a straighter swing path. When he's doing this, he's actually curving the ball a little bit more. And when he's doing this, that's when he's controlling the rev, more of the revs on the back end. So he would give you things to decipher, but I think you're right. I think he really wanted someone to just kind of like not use his words, but to learn from his words as to what to look for. That type of lesson is invaluable. I mean, nowadays you go and everything's on and, uh, social media and this and that, but you don't know how accurate it is because you're taking the words of somebody else at the way they see it. Right. Mr. Anthony did not do that. He said, here's what you're going to look at and here's the clue to it. But he would never ever give me the answer. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, I went up to Reno one time, there was a golf ex exhibition that they put on at the MGM and they invited a bunch of people up there and it was Fuzzy Zeller. And Fuzzy was a great player on the tour and he loved the bowl. And he went out there, and he had an 8-iron, and uh, they were at the practice tee. And he says, okay, he says, I just want to show you something. I normally hit it straight, but I'm going to fade this in there. So he faded the 8-iron right in, right on the pin. It was about 8 feet away. It was about a 140-yard shot. He says, now I'm going to draw it in. And he hit it right to the left, about 10 feet away. He says, now I'm going to hit it dead straight. And he did. And he says, did you see the difference? Nobody could see any difference in what he did, but his little uh, technique that he had with his hands would make the ball do three different things. And, you know, that only comes from a great pro like Earl. I mean, you couldn't even see the little uh, differences he was doing from game to game and shot to shot sometimes. Well, I mean, and that's, you know, and this is going to actually piss off a few people, but I don't really care. Yeah, he was left-handed, but... I, if he was right-handed, who knows, it might have been even more titled because the guy was just that smart and that talented. When we called him the machine, we weren't kidding. That was like watching a robot with perfect technique. So, you know, all this, get off the bandwagon, he was left-handed. You know what? No, right-handed, left-handed, doesn't matter. In a short amount of time, the amount of shows he won, the amount of titles he won, and the knowledge that he spread around, because I know he had conversations with you, Larry Lickstein, and multiple other players. 
he wasn't a selfish man. He would share information with you. I mean, you might need uh, uh, Earl Anthony decoder ring by the time you left, but <laughs> you know, he would he would share that information. So to me, he will always be the greatest of all time because of his amount of knowledge. It was phenomenal. And when you sat down with him and you really got to listen to him, you would pick up more hints. But he was one of those types of players with that type of knowledge that he's not going to give you the straight out answer. He's going to make you go earn it. And I had no problem with that. Well, I'll tell you, you know, that rings a bell with me. I got I to gotta tell you a quick story while you're while you're giving us the information. I was rooming with Joey Berardi for about three years when Joey first came out, and he showed all the talent in the world. And one day, Earl came to me, he goes, when are you going to teach that kid how to win? I says, what are you talking about? He says, he's great. He makes the finals every other week, cashes every time. He says, but you haven't taught him how to win. And I says, I've taught him everything I know. And he says, well, he says, when I get ready to retire, I'll tell you. So the next year... He says, I'm leaving this year. He says, but I want you to look at something. And he says, you can pass it along if you want or not. He says, but what happens when Joey leaves a 10-pin? I says, he makes it. He makes it about 99 times out of 100. He says, I know it. He says, but what's he do on the next ball? I says, I don't know. He says, well, pay attention. So the next tournament I'm watching, he leaves a 10-pin. Next ball, he leaves a 2-4-5. Comes up a little light. And so he did that about 10 times in the block. And so after the block, I said, Joey, what are you doing different after you make your 10 pin? He goes, I don't know. He says, I know I'm leaving a lot of two, four, fives and week sevens and stuff like that. And so I went to Earl and he says, Earl, I says, he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know what you're talking about. He says, when he throws it that hard at the 10 pin, he's got that muscle memory in his arm on his next shot. And he always throws a little bit harder, and he goes past the head pin. And I told Joey that. He goes, oh, he's full of crap. The next tournament, he won. Because <laughs> he, he threw it at regular speed at the 2-4-5, and he, 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 he didn't have that muscle memory of that hard swing anymore. But that was a little something that he saw that even the player didn't see. Unbelievable. His, again, his knowledge and his observations. I mean, I honestly don't know if, if anybody taught him or if he learned on his own. I'm going to go with he learned on his own because the way he deciphered everything and analyzed it, it was in a way that I'd never met anybody that analyzed it that way before. I mean, I've learned a lot of things from different coaches and obviously from Larry Lickstein, you, and just so many other people. But listening to him, there was there was a thing that sparked your brain because he would tell you things, but not in a direct way. It's like I'll share a quick story about his ability of understanding the game. It's very short. In Rochester, New York, he was on his basic comeback when he first made his comeback for a little bit. So I'm watching him practice, and he turns around and he goes, Bill, you want to see me leave a ring in seven? <laughs> Sure. So I'm watching as close as I can. He throws the ball. He rings a seven pin. And I'm thinking, all right, he did something different. But I'm looking, and he's sliding in the same place. The ball speed looked the same to me, as close as I could tell. And he says, you want to see me hook the lane? I said, sure. So next shot, he moves a little right, starts bends it out to almost to the gutter, pulls it back, and he goes flush. 
Then he says, you want to see me leave the, uh, leave the six pin? He moved back to where he left the ring at seven and left the six pin. And I'm like, okay, you're just on a different planet, sir. <laughs> because oh, yeah. I don't know how in the world you're doing all that. And that's what I mean. He would come back and say, study it. You're missing something. Watch it. Learn it. Don't listen to the words of other people because I can give you my word but they're not gonna be enough for you to understand what you see. They're gonna tell you what I see. And so he would really get me to think different and literally drove me nuts at times. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, what better way to teach somebody, Blue Doyle? Yeah, he, he was remarkable. You know, we could talk uh, forever and ever and we could probably write books about him. When it comes right down to it, you know, he was playing chess when the rest of the guys were playing checkers. And, man, there's a big difference in those two games. Absolutely. I mean, his understanding of, of pinfall, which he actually taught me what to look for. I mean, I saw it, but I didn't quite understand it. And then he started talking about deck covering. Then I started really understanding it. <laughs> you know, but he wouldn't say, well, they fall like this, this, and this. And he goes, think of how many pins it takes to cover the deck. It actually takes two and a third pins. I had, took, had to go measure. It's the way that you do it. And the way that he understood a way that the pins moved that, you know, he could literally turn on his carry percentage when he needed it. That, to me, I've never seen a player other than him achieve that. So, in my mind, his, not only him as a person, his ability on the lane and his, his friendliness to teach at least me. I don't know who else he taught. But you know what? In my book, that makes him the greatest of all time. Well, you've got to put him up there, you know, even though he didn't have the titles that some of the other guys are going to have. He had a very short career, basically. And like you said earlier, the amount of times he was on television and he was either first or second, like 80 times, 85 times. I mean, that's just unbelievable. It's still to this day mind boggling. And I still when I'm watching the videos that, that uh, Susie Anthony sent me and I'm deciphering them, I don't think he'll ever be matched. People may not like that, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, well, you know, there's got to be the greatest. And sometimes it's close. Uh, they talk about Mickey Mantle, and they talk about Roger Maris and Babe Ruth and all that, and Terry Bonds. I mean, different eras uh, create different superstars and all that. But as far as knowledge goes, there's not many many guys that ever going to have the knowledge that he had because, like you said, I've seen him do the same thing. Leave a six pin, leave a seven pin when he wanted to, things like that. And he would do it when he was practicing because he, if he did, you know, if he got a little bit too much of it, it was a solid seven. Got a little bit too much of it again, it'd be a, a six pin. He'd back off his hand just a hair and he tripped that six out. A lot of guys said, man, is he lucky? And Earl told me one time, I says, you know, Earl, I says, you're pretty lucky. He says, I'm the luckiest guy I've ever lived. He says, because I've studied for a long time. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I think people, you know, with the, you know, I had a bad night tonight. I didn't have any luck. I didn't carry. Carry is not luck. I'll stand by that statement forever and ever. <laughs> I love it. So you, you got any stories uh, about Earl besides, you know, some of the things he taught you, something that you saw that, you know, we'll go down in history. We, we could write the book. I, I called him Ruthian because he did so many things that Babe Ruth did 
it, it becomes a legend after a while. People don't even believe it sometimes. But, you know, why lie if you don't have to? Well, you know, I'm going to share a personal story. And it, it was, um, I mean, my childhood, I, I was the only bowler in my family. This is the true person that Mr. Anthony was. So we're in on tour. I'm new on tour. It was my first winter tour. It was cold out. They had their motor home. And uh, we had a long day drilling bowling balls. I mean, back then you were drilling 350 a week. So there were no short days at all. So I'm tired. He came into the truck to pick up his equipment. And he looked at me. He goes, you look hungry. I said, yes, sir, I am. He says, come to my motor home. And he sat me down. And they treated me like royalty, and they served me a spaghetti dinner, which was delicious. But that's the type of person that he was. And I think people need to know more about that because people say he was non-dynamic. Actually, if you really, really look, he had that glare in his eye in competition that all the great ones had. Oh. Yeah. I'll tell you what, he was a competitor and a half, but... I've got a personal story. It's not bowling because I wasn't a pro, but I lived right across the bay from him. And uh, my buddy was Ted Hoffman, and he owned the bowl with, with Earl. And we'd get together and we'd play golf. Well, after several rounds, he established a handicap. So I wasn't that good. I was about a 14, and Earl was about a 2. And he wanted to gamble all the time. So that meant he had to give me 12 strokes. And that would be six in the front and six in the back. We pretty much tied because that's a lot of strokes to give somebody. That's like one stroke every you know per hole for six holes out of the front nine. So that's that's a pretty big handicap. So one day he says, "All right, I'm giving you 14 today." I says, "14? What do you mean 14?" He says, "Well, he says that six and six in the front and the back." He says, "We tie." He says, "And if I give you 14?" He says, you'll have an advantage. And I says, I know, that's not fair. He goes, good. He goes, I want, to, I want you to make me play harder. And we played we play for some pretty big money. But he's giving me the extra handicap because he wanted to try harder, which is unbelievable. And we still ended up, you know, uh, pretty even because he gave me way too many strokes. But I'll tell you what, he was a competitor. He hated to be down. Uh, if he missed a couple of putts, we get to the ninth hole, he'd throw his putter, break it, have to go in the pro shop and get another one. <laughs> he, he was unreal, Pards. Yes, he was. One of a kind and one that I don't believe will ever be matched. No, we won't. So, listen, the next show we talked about in the front a little bit about his multiple games. That'll be the next show, which will be next week. So we want our listeners to come back and hear that. And then we're going to have a final show two weeks from now about his strategy. We want people to get their pens and pencils out because they're going to have to write some of this stuff down because it's, as I said, Ruthian. It's hard to believe. You got a closing story you want to tell real quick? No, but I would like to, uh, I get a little emotional. Um, we just lost Mark Roth. Yes, sir. That very tough. Very, very tough. Please remember him for all the greatness that he was. I appreciate that. Well said, Parge. You know, um, uh, yeah, emotional is the word. Um, I don't know if it's good or bad, but he's in a better place right now. And fortunately for me and you probably, is he was sick for a while and 
we had a pretty much of a good feeling that this would happen eventually. It wasn't a shock. So we had a little buffer there to, to be prepared for it. Uh, just like we had with Tita Semez. Tita passed away too. He was from back east. One hell of a man, one hell of a bowler, golfer, singer, everything. But it's something we got to expect, Pards. We're getting old ourselves. So uh, learn all you can and stay faithful to the game. And keep listening and keep learning, my friend, because we're going to talk about as many guys as we can to uphold the history and tradition of the great PBA. I 100% believe that we need to celebrate our past to build a future. Yeah, well said, Bards. I'll talk to you next week. So, Phantom fans, Bill Glockenwald tells us that we are out of time for this week. And as I said, we could talk about Earl for hours and hours and hours, but... The time flies, and that's why they call it the fastest show in all the sports. But look forward to talking to Billy again next week. We're going to talk about the multiple games that Earl had. Trust us, we got no reason to lie. He's been gone for 20 years. We're not going to lie about him. Uh, but it's <laughs> it's some stuff that just sounds so far-fetched that you can't believe it unless you were there to see it. And fortunately, we were so lucky to be around in that era. But... I'd like to thank our sponsors, Storm Bowling Products, and Brad Edelman from the Great High Roller, and also to our newest sponsor, Dave Kowalski, from Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper Auto Parts Stores. He's also the past president of the Michigan High School Bowling Coaches Association, and that's good news because they got 7,000 league bowlers that are juniors up there. So, Billy, thank you, and Phantom fans, we'll talk to you again next week. This is the Phantom. When you're down and troubled and you need some loving care and nothing, well, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me and soon I'll